Hello and welcome to episode 50 of the Gamer's Tavern. I'm recording this real fast just as before I pack up all the recording gear because we're at Comic Palooza this weekend in Houston, Texas. Ross and I will both be there and we're recording an episode live on Monday. Check the schedule for time and room number. You can also find Ross running a bunch of different panels and a bunch of different games all over the weekend. And I'll be wandering around covering the show for Anical News and recording bits here and there for Gamers Tavern. You may actually want to keep an eye on our Twitch channel at twitch.tv slash gamers tavern show just in case we're able to stream something from the convention but if you're in the houston area or anywhere nearby houston uh louisiana dallas san antonio austin go trust me go to comicpalooza.com it is the biggest convention in the south it is the san diego comic-con of the south you will regret it if you are not there speaking of regrets if you don't enter this contest, you're going to regret it because we have Chris Avalon on the show hosting episode 48 about the pen and paper role-playing game they made to test the rules of Fallout 3 during the Van Buren design. He's giving away three copies of these one-of-the-kind notes to Lucky Gamers Tavern listeners. To enter, send us an email at contest at gamerstavern.org with the subject line, Nuka Break. In the body, give us your best Fallout-themed haiku. Be sure to include your mailing address so we can send you this unique piece of gaming history. And get your entries in by midnight on May 31st, 2015 to be eligible to win. Once again, the email address is contest at gamerstavern.org with the subject line Nuka Break, the body, a Fallout haiku, and your mailing address. With that said, grab a drink from the bar and take a seat at the table in the corner, and we'll be right back after this word from our sponsor. What is the most important invention in all of mankind? Beer! Longtime listeners will know how much I love good alcohol, but when it comes to craft beers, there's so much out there, it can be intimidating. What's the difference between a brown L and an IPA? And why is there so much German, Hefeweizen, Bach, Dunkel? Where do you start? I'll tell you where. Craft Beer Club. For just $3 each, you'll get three bottles of four different beers right to your door every single month from independent craft brewers of the best quality. In just a short amount of time, you'll be snobbing up with the hipsters talking about nose and hops. But Daryl, I can get a 12-pack cheaper at the local store, you say. But can you get specialty regional small batch beers at that price with this much selection? I didn't think so. Besides, you know you'd spend twice that much at a bar for the same beers just to try them out. So go to GamersTavern.org slash Craft Beer Club, and we'll start you out with your first shipment plus three free gifts. That's GamersTavern.org slash Craft Beer Club, and start enjoying real beer. The Gamers Tavern Podcast is sponsored by Pinnacle Entertainment Group's Savage Worlds game, featuring Deadlands, 50 Fathoms, East Texas University, Weird Wars, and dozens of fantastic licensees. Savage Worlds is fast, furious, and fun. Welcome to another edition of the Gamers Tavern Podcast with our guest, Stan. Hi, I'm your host, Ross Watson. And I'm Daryl Mont Jr. And say hello to our guest, Stan. 
Hi, guests. Probably no. <laughs> Hi, I'm Stan. <laughs> Welcome to the show, Stan, and thank you for joining us. Oh, my pleasure. So tonight, we're going to be talking about a, another campaign setting. We have uh, a few shows that have actually covered campaign settings before. For Dungeons & Dragons, for other role-playing games, we've covered, let's see, what have we covered so far, Daryl? We've covered Forgotten Realms, and we've covered Birthright. And Dark Sun. That's and... right, with, uh, with actually uh, uh, Tim Brown. Yep. That uh, must have been exciting. It was. It was excellent. And Tim's, Tim's a lot of fun. I I got to go listen to that because I mean, I get to you know I see him a couple times a year, but that that's never enough. Tim. We also got Rich Baker for the Birthright one too. So mm-hmm. we 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 try to get as many creators as possible for these uh, particular ones, which is why we reached out to you. One of the <laughs> yeah, first... I found that very funny. <laughs> <laughs> well, we on here on the show. One of the first things we like to do with a new guest is we like to introduce them to our listeners through the context of a gaming character sheet could you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself who who you are and where they might know you from in that context well uh got uh, probably the strength 10 uh, <laughs> that's, uh, I, i'm not quite sure how you go about this but uh, uh yeah i've been around uh, a lot of different but different Companies and products, but I guess the one we're talking about tonight is going to be Ravenloft, right? Well, sure, but um, no. you're probably like a level twenty cartoonist, isn't that right? <laughs> so I've got I had a very weird career. It, well, very good for me, but uh, weird in that it's kind of hard to nail down. Mm-hmm. I uh, I've been a game designer and editor. Uh, worked at West End Games on the Masterbook line and on the old D6 Star Wars. Actually, as, as a graphic designer for most of that, but also as an editor for Paranoia. Um, and then I went to TSR where I worked on Ravenloft and Dragonlance during the Dragonlance Fifth Age. I was a lead designer for, uh, uh, a lot of that. I didn't. I didn't do the initial design, but on a lot of the supplemental material, I was I was a designer or or uh, on the team. Right. And uh, so you were saying that you've been involved in a lot of different campaign settings. From yes. Dr- particularly Dragonlance. Very deeply involved in Dragonlance. Yes. Uh, and and with uh, of course the uh, other things like a Pokemon Junior adventure game. Yeah, I, I got I got <laughs> for a while doing a lot of work on. Uh, on games for uh, introductory games. Right. I forgot um, that was a thing. You know, this, my favorite thing, well, I, I really love the game, but uh, one of my favorite things when talking about it is to roll out the, by some measure, that's the best-selling role-playing game of all time. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's a good point. We yeah. sold 800,000 units of that Holy in one year. Shit. Wow. And, no, nothing, nothing touches that. No, now, it had hard. no carrying power, right? It, it would be ridiculous to really make that claim, but by one very, very thin measure, there it is. Wow. <laughs> that's, that's actually a great piece of trivia to roll out, I think, from time to time. I'm now, rocking that one away. <laughs> now, I want to ask you a really quick question here, Stan. You know, you worked on the D6 Star Wars game over West End. Did you by any chance know there's a, there's a person I worked with who, uh, at Fantasy Flight Games who worked at West End, maybe around the same time period, uh, Brian Schomburg. Brian and I were housemates when I was working at West End. So ah. yeah, I'm pretty familiar with Brian. Okay. Well, there you go. So six degrees of separation from Stan <laughs> is actually only two for me because, uh, Brian, Brian Schomburg and I worked together on an awful lot of stuff. So that's fantastic. Of course, D6 Star Wars is a, a thing that both, uh, Daryl and I are big fans of. Oh yeah. Yeah. Me too. <laughs> What was your favorite thing to work on for D6 Star Wars? 
Uh, well, when I was working on that, like I said, I was mostly doing graphic design. Mm-hmm. And I say my my career falls into like four different buckets, and uh, so I was uh, doing graphic design at that point. I was doing maps uh, for the Star Wars Adventure Journal and doing uh, just basic layout for the uh, Star Wars products that were coming through at the time. Mm-hmm. So um, I, you know, I I really kind of cut my graphics teeth on that, doing the the different starport designs and and other maps that went into uh the uh, the products and particularly the adventure journal fantastic now you're no stranger to podcasting either i've done a couple <laughs> i've never you know i've always wanted to uh to have a podcast of my own a, a podcast of my own uh, <laughs> the, the funny thing is that uh i don't know if you know who jeff quick is he uh jeff was uh one of the um the guys in RPGA for a long time and mm-hmm. then came up and was a designer and editor in, in R&D at Wizards. Uh, and uh, he is now, I think it's uh, Yellow Games, the guys who do King of New York. Or, uh, okay. Uh, and he's, he's basically running uh, their, their development team now. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Jeff and I, back in the, in the early days of, this, of these internets, <laughs> uh, wanted to do what we were just calling, you know, an internet radio show because the word podcast <laughs> didn't even exist. And we, we tried for months to try and put something together and just didn't have the technical know-how and gave up. And like six months later, podcasts were the <laughs> hottest things. And I've just, it, it broke my heart. I, I never had the will to try it again. Well, that is so I just get on other people's shows and, uh, you know, get my fill. Now, you also, you've been on, on a number of videos online. I think one of them is where you're talking about living in Japan. Yes, yes. I, uh, I lived in Japan for five years in the early 90s. I, uh, among other things, I was a co-founder of a, uh, English language gaming organization, which is one of the big things on my resume that got me a full-time job in the industry. Oh, yeah. So yeah, with uh, with some other folks there, teamed up and did a an organization that's called the Japan's International Gamers Guild, or Jig, and uh, <laughs> so I was I was the first president of Jig, and like I say one of the founders, and we put that together it was a group for anyone who was living in Japan that spoke English and liked gaming, and uh, one of the things I'm actually really proud of is Jig is still around today. It has far outlived my involvement. And uh, the organization thrives and is online. And uh, one of the original founders is still there and still doing a big part of running it. And so uh, uh, it was, yeah. So now you've gone from graphic design, you've gone to editing, you've done cartooning. You've been a creative content manager at yes. Upper Deck. Yes. And a, a, I was a, also a, a, a creative director at Wizards. Right. Uh, that's got to be a really exciting uh, job. It is. Like I say that's that's another that's another bucket for me, right? That's that's where you you've got to be able to let other people do the work. Right? There's some <laughs> people who just can't give up the doing the work. But if you if you can, being involved at kind of the high end creatively and helping other people to produce more products than you, you I personally could ever make myself. I now feel like I've got my hands in at least creatively and have a, an involvement, a satisfying involvement with development. Of, uh, of products for all kinds of different things that I never would have gotten to on my own. All right. And the last couple of things I want to mention is more recent stuff with the Super Genius Games. Uh, now it's Rogue Genius Games. Uh, Correct. Yep. Yes. But yeah, go ahead. But you were. 
I was. Uh, oh yes, I was a founding this... founding member of both both organizations. Uh, <laughs> That's a former guest and friend of the show, Owen Stevens' company, isn't it? Yes. Well, Road well, Geniuses. Well, yeah. Yeah. So Super Genius uh, was started by Hiram Savage and me uh, shortly after I got uh, laid off from Upper Deck. Um, I then it's kind of a repeating pattern in my career. I got laid off by Wizards, and I was part of the group that started the Game Mechanics, which was a, a like I say, a PDF producing company back in the the early two thousands. Got laid off by Upper Deck and uh, created Super Genius. And when we decided to kind of lean heavily on Pathfinder, uh, we invited Owen to join the company. And when uh, things Super Genius were wrapping up, Owen decided that he wasn't done yet, and so he invited me to join Rogue Genius. Well, yeah, Owen is a great guy. I've, I've actually spent a lot of time with him uh, at Comic Palooza last year, uh-huh. which is a yeah. con I'll be going to again very, very soon. So Me too. Oh, you're going to be there. Fantastic. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a gaming guest of some sort. Well, fantastic. You know, that is going to be amazing because that weekend is actually my 40th birthday. Oh, oh sweet. I did not know that. So. Yeah, so both Daryl and I and you now. will all be in the same hotel that weekend. So we're going to have to get together and hang out. Getting drunk at the same time. It'll yeah. Be oh. and, so yes, so Stan and, and Daryl and I are, are all going to be at Comic Palooza, and I think also going to be at Comic Palooza. Just joining us now is our second guest for the night, Mr. William Thrasher. Hello, everybody. Hello, Will. Welcome hey. to the show again. <laughs> Glad to be back. <laughs> Now, is it true you will also be at Comic Palooza? Yes, yes, I will be at Comic Palooza. Well, fantastic! You're representing Skirmisher Publishing, is that correct? Yeah, I'll be uh, working with uh, Skirmisher Publishing. I'll be uh, heavily involved with their gaming pavilion and also bringing uh, some live action role playing in as well. Fantastic! Now, just like last year, I am sure that the absolute best party to go to is going to be the Skirmisher <laughs> after party. <laughs> is oh, yeah. there is there another party? Please. Yo, oh, yes, there is. Oh, thank uh-huh. God. Oh, good. I got to put that on my schedule then. Oh, Stan, you've got to go, dude. We would not let another year. We would not let a year go by where we didn't do that party. I, mean, I was, last just, year I was just telling to... Stan actually this weekend, the twenty second of May, which is Comic Palooza, is also my fortieth birthday. So we're gonna have to get together, all four of us, I'm sure, at some point and raise a beer. So uh, I'm looking forward to that. Excellent. So, Will, uh, you've been on the show before. Just as a really quick breakdown for our listeners, do you think you could do a quick uh, gaming character sheets of, of who you are and who we know you from? Oh, certainly. Well, I've been a longtime gamer since uh, high school, but uh, recently I've been a uh, professional freelance illustrator and game designer. Uh, one of the co-creators of Kettlefish Productions. Uh, we do uh, LARPs and other special uh, game conventions, at, uh, conventions all over the country, Origins, Gen Con, Comic Palooza, just like you mentioned. Right. And, uh, of course. Man, that was good. I, I, I was mad. I don't want to do mine again. <laughs> never mind. Never mind. Well, Will also has one of the most buttery smooth radio voices in the industry. So. Oh, God. He's also, well, uh, if I'm not mistaken, the host of the D Infinity show. Is that correct? The webcast? Uh, yes. I'm one of the co hosts of mm-hmm. uh, D Infinity Live, which you can watch on uh, d-infinity.net. Uh, it's a weekly, uh, tabletop gaming show. And we just, we, we, uh, we, riff on uh, different tabletop gaming topics. We have usually one uh, topic per episode. I don't know when this particular episode of Gamers Tavern is coming out, but the episode we're prepping for now is called Let's Play Humans, and it's all about playing human beings in settings where there are plenty of non-human character options. Oh, shit, Ross, <laughs> we need to steal that one. 
Now, there has been a lot of overlap in topics, but it's completely – theirs is a video, ours is audio, and the Wicket's Covered is completely different on the two shows. Uh, I almost consider uh, D-Infinity Live an inspiration for the Gamers Tavern. Well, we've so, been on the you. we've been on the Infinity Live before, and mm-hmm. of course, Will's joined us before, so we have like a little bit of incestuous relationship going on there. Uh, you know, there's plenty of cross pollination. A little bit of I Game need, of Thrones going on. I need a grown up. <laughs> <laughs> I am an adult. Now, Will, of course, has written for everything uh, from Pathfinder to Chupacabras for Cthulhu Live, a uh, hundred oddities for a Wizard's Library. And he worked for me for a little while writing for uh, Warhammer 40K products like Into the Storm and the Aculus Assault. Indeed, I did. Okay. So that is where everybody knows everybody from. And let's jump into the next part of our show, which is all about what we've been playing lately. I would like to start with Stan. Okay. What have you been uh, playing lately? Well, um, last night I actually played a little bit of uh, World War One dogfighting uh, board game, Wings of War. Oh, yeah. That's a fun Ooh. one. We had a, a regular Monday night group which started about a year and a half ago as a, uh, a D&D 5th edition playtest group. We, we kept playing and finally uh, finished the, the big campa- campaign we've been on and decided just to keep going. So now we're, we're on a, a break doing board games instead of role playing for a while. Um, but I'm also in a regular Call of Cthulhu game where we have managed to, to pretty well play campaign style, keep most of the same characters. Occasionally one will just go around the bend and have to be replaced. I was about to say, how does that uh, work a Call of Cthulhu campaign? That's like well, antithesis. We, a lot of what we've been playing has been the uh, uh, the stuff that Goodman Games has been putting out. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the pulp Cthulhu, uh, uh, pulp inspired stuff. One of our people is a, a guy named John Ratliff who is an editor for TSR and Wizards for a long time and a, a Tolkien scholar. Uh, if you, if you watch actually any of the Hobbit or Lord of the Rings DVDs and you go through the extras, he's very often in there as someone they bring in for interviews. But he has a lot of, uh, he's also a big Cthulhu fan and he will take old material and adapt it, old gaming material, like some of the, uh, Alone Against the Night, you know, one player stuff and adapt it for a group. Or, uh, I've run the stuff that, uh, we published as, uh, Super Genius to publish some, uh, Call of Cthulhu stuff, so I've run a little bit of that. You know, I think particularly the the super genius stuff. Our goal was to make things where characters where it felt like Lovecraftian stuff, but it was possible for the characters to survive if they didn't do anything dumb. So you could play a campaign. Okay, I think that's my problem. Is my characters always do something dumb? <laughs> it's so yeah, much I mean, fun. And <laughs> classically, a lot of the Cthulhu adventures are written so that you you know, in the end, it's supposed to be apocalyptic one way or either for the world or for your character Uh, all right but uh you know the goodman game stuff is also products that if you if your characters are smart they can live through it and be alive for the next one uh so we play that and then i'm in a uh every other week game with the folks in at monty cook games who are playing a, a numenera variant uh, something that I think is uh, one of the, the tests of concepts that they had for the, the new uh, Cypher System core book, which they announced recently. Uh, so it's using the basic Cypher system, but this is a, a uh, sci-fi game, uh, a, a, like a space opera sci-fi game instead of the standard Numenera. Interesting. Uh, I'm actually going to switch gears a little bit and go with Daryl, because I want to hear about <laughs> his characters doing things that are dumb. <laughs> 
Daryl, what have you been up to lately in terms of playing games? Uh, well, we've had a little bit of a recording hiatus, so I have been playing all <laughs> the games. Um, I actually got back into video gaming because I uh, started really paying attention to our Twitch channel, uh, which is at twitch.tv slash gamers tavern show. Uh, I've been playing a little bit of Shadowrun Returns, been playing some Skyrim, uh, tried playing some Star Trek online, but I realized I fly a ship like I drive a car, which there's a reason <laughs> why I don't drive. So I don't know if I'm going to be sticking with that, but I might give it another shot or two. Well, remember, uh, you need to get in touch with me before you come on Star Trek Online. I can probably help you out with a few things. Probably. I, I went through Just the, saying. I went through the tutorial stuff, and I think it was like 3 in the morning when I messaged you and said, Hey, uh, I'm starting Star Trek Online. Is there anything I should know? And he's like, play a human, and I'm going to bed. So, <laughs> Bye. But yeah, I went through the tutorial on that. Um, I've also been playing, I've uh, been running a, uh, fifth edition D&D campaign on there. It's another, uh, running through Lost Minds of Fandelver, the, uh, starter set for the fifth edition D&D, the adventure that came with that. Uh, that's, uh, Richard Baker's, if I'm not mistaken, adventure he wrote. I think it is. I don't, yep. I don't know for sure, but maybe. Uh, Red Hand of Doom. Yeah, that's yep. the same guy. Richard Baker, yeah. Uh, that's his adventure. I, I just love it. It's a great introductory adventure. We've been running through that. We also did International Tabletop Day. I'm just going to run through the games I played real quick on that. Uh, uh, double feature, by the way, uh, former guest, friend of the show, John Kavalik made this game. It is an amazing movie-based game. You don't have to know trivia. You just have to have seen movies to be able to play this game. It is an absolutely great party game. Make sure to pick that up. It's just now coming out in store shelves. Uh, we played... Uh, some uh, epic game of Munchkin. Uh, Boss Monster is an amazing game. I absolutely love it. It is so great. Um, and there were a couple other games too, but I'm spacing on them right now, and I've been rambling for too long anyway. Oh, so, okay then. <laughs> I've, I've been shoehorning an, an entire year of recording the show, and every time it's like I haven't really had much time to play, and now I'm just like I played all the games in like yeah. uh, two months. <laughs> I'm, I'm saving myself for last because I have a lot to talk about too. But. <laughs> Uh, Will Thrasher, what have you been playing lately? Well, I was actually involved in something really cool. Uh, so as uh, some people may know, I live in uh, the state capital of uh, Frankfort, Kentucky. And just this past weekend, you know, the Kentucky Derby was going on. So uh, I uh, was brought into our friendly local game store, Moonlight Comics, to do a, a special event. Now, have any of you played uh, D&D Attack Wing? No. I haven't, but I played the other Attack. Some of the I've played attack X-Wing, games. though. Okay, cool. Well, then you have, you have, then you, you know, you already have some idea how, how it works. Well, they they have a, a really big D&D attack wing following at that store. So I did a special event for them. We did the Dragon Derby. Uh, and nice. <laughs> we set up, we set up a racetrack, uh, four players at a time. Each got, uh, one, uh, unnamed dragon. Uh, and they had to compete to actually race around the track and see who could cross the finish line first. But of course, being dragons, they could still attack each other under the normal <laughs> combat rules as they're racing around the track. Uh, uh, and what we did to really keep things interesting is at the end of every round, we had a random racing event card. Uh, and, and that would, and each one would sort of change, change the game. We had like the, the gravity curse card where all the dragons were forced to land and had wow. to operate on the ground for one turn. Uh, my two favorite, uh, event cards though, one was called Hand of the Trickster God, where the, uh, the direction of the race is reversed. So whoever was in last place is now in first place. Whoever was in first place is now in last place. Wow. But mm. you've still got to get your bulky, cumbersome dragon turned around so you can get to that finish line. <laughs> 
And then the other one, because I'm a huge Mario Kart fan, we had a random event card called Blue Shell, where the person who was in last place got to make a breath attack against the person in first place, regardless of their actual positions on the board. Nice. <laughs> that sounds awesome. Yeah, it was really fun, and and the shop was nice enough to offer to uh, offer a fifty dollar gift certificate for the winner. So everybody got raffle tickets based on how well they did in each race, and then at the end of the day, we had a drawing. It was really cool. That sounds amazing. Yeah, I'm actually talking with them about uh, for an upcoming uh, Star Wars event to do to take uh, to take the X Wing miniature game and to do a Kessel Run, where it'll be kind of a non linear race. There'll be specific zones on the board they've got to get to, but they get to pick the order. Nice. What else have you been playing? Is that the big thing, or is there more? That actually, that has been uh, the the big thing. Oh, and actually, I was at a uh, the week before that. I was at a, a, a local convention uh, and. I did what I something I try to do any any con, any local convention uh we do uh, Arkham Horror with all the trimming so uh on on Saturday night we set up Arkham Horror with every expansion in play oh, oh, wow. and that was very fun and it was uh I don't I, I don't remember who uh the the elder god we were up against was but he ended up uh, awakening and we managed to win the game with one investigator still in play. Wow. <laughs> it was a really fun two and a half hours. Now, really quick, what are you running at a Comic Palooza game one? Well, uh, I'm running a, a couple of things. You know, I'll, I'll be running uh, lots of different pickup games at the Skirmisher Game Pavilion. So I'll be running some Pathfinder stuff, some Call of Cthulhu stuff, board game I'm working on called Relier Rises. I'll be helping out with a little Orc Wars. But the three uh, big gaming events that I'm a part of, I'm going to be running two uh, Cthulhu Live events. Uh, one being uh, the return of Cyrus Crane, which is just a, a classic Cthulhu Live scenario that I, I think I've been running for almost ten years now, which just has a little bit of everything you'd want to have in a in a Cthulhu event. Uh, a little bit of some tomes, some monsters, various things, a period setting. Then the other one I'm running is, of course, uh, Muerte al Chupacabras, which is a Cthulhu <laughs> Live scenario. <laughs> Uh, it's set in the modern day, and it's all inspired by cryptozoology. A, uh, a crazy rancher claims to have captured a real live chupacabra and has a chained barn. Now he has something chained up in his barn, but but it may not necessarily be the mythical chupacabra. Uh, nice. <laughs> and so there's lots of fun complications. And so like it kind of draws from a couple of different things. It draws from cryptozoology. It draws some influences from the X Files and Twin Peaks and things like that. So that one's really fun. And then the other one, which is going to be really interesting, uh, we're doing a live-action dungeon crawl called The Labyrinths of Midnight. Nice. Uh, which, which I've been uh, taking the lead on. And the whole reason it came about is last year at Comic Palooza, uh, Michael Varhola, the head of Skirmisher Publishing, and I, we, we had to get somewhere in the convention, and it was really late in the evening, uh, and we got lost on the third floor of the convention center because it's just the hallways. It's big. Yo, it's, it's big. big. And it's not laid out in the most intuitive way. <laughs> and one of us, I forget who, had just made a crack that, well, this would be the perfect place to get ambushed by a minotaur. Uh, <laughs> that's kind of what got the ball rolling. So we're actually going to have a huge section of the top floor of the convention center uh, late at night. It'll be played through midnight. And the hallways in that part of the convention center are, for all intents and purposes, our dungeon. And the different conference rooms and uh, meeting rooms and, uh, and and ballrooms there, we're going to turn each one of those into a sort of fantasy set piece. 
and all of our players are going to be doing an actual dungeon crawl, doing quests, going, uh, trying to safely navigate between those different uh, set piece locations. Well, I'm glad to see you guys are taking it easy this year. You're not doing anything <laughs> ambitious. <laughs> laying back and having a vacation. Yeah. It's nice to relax for once. <laughs> now, Stan, are you running any games at Comic Blues? Uh, I don't have any games on the schedule. I've got a whole bunch of seminars. Yeah, me too. Depending on how my deadlines go between now and then, I may bring some stuff to kind of play in uh, open gaming or, or you know throw out as a, a special and you know last minute thing. Well, Daryl and I are going to be recording at the show. Yep. And I think I'm going to actually start out by talking about what I've been playing lately with what I'm going to be doing at. Comic Palooza, because like you, Stan, I am on a bunch of panels. In fact, we're probably on a bunch of the same panels. That would make sense. <laughs> uh, but I'm also bringing some RPGs to play there. I'm, I'm bringing uh, my Shadows Angeles setting, which is uh, cyberpunk Yay. cops, cyberpunk cops fighting demons in, in a dark future. And uh, I have a the Great Hunt, which is a Star Wars Edge of the Empire adventure I'm running that's going to tie into some of the uh, X-Wing events there. Mm-hmm. But the one I'm looking forward to the most is actually a 5th edition D&D game that is based on the Dungeons and Dragons animated <laughs> series from 1983 to 1984. <laughs> you get to play the characters Sheila, Bobby, uh, Eric, uh, and, and the rest, Hank, Hank and the crew. Please from the tell comic, me there are still the spots in this. I have to be in on this. It, it's a lot of fun and it's going <laughs> oh, to be awesome. exciting. I can't wait to do it. I, I, I ran it here in, in Colorado and it was big hit. So <laughs> greetings, adventurers. Oh yeah. The whole table. I said every time Dungeon Master comes out, all the kids say in tandem Dungeon Master and they all did. <laughs> and, and like people four tables away are like, what are they doing over there? But Dungeon Master. <laughs> Do you have your all your cryptic phrases uh, already worked out for oh, the yeah. Dungeon Master? Well, a lot of it's improv, you know, but it's it's it, I do have some worked out. Okay, so uh, what have we been playing lately? Um, again, I'm going to be a little long here because Daryl and I took a hiatus and we're just coming back now. But I've been playing a lot of Savage Worlds recently, <laughs> uh, which should surprise no one. We've been playing Savage Worlds uh, Shintar, which is, of course, Sean Patrick fan setting uh, high fantasy and having a lot of fun with that. Been playing The Crew, which is uh, modern day monster hunters who have special abilities and things like that. I, I play a character who is a demigod, basically the daughter of Nike and a human man, which is pretty fun. And I've been running my D&D 5th edition Birthright game, which is actually going so well. We've got... Huge amounts of blue booking now running back and forth between all the characters and Jake <laughs> Burgess, who's been on the show before, a professional artist, has been drawing all kinds of crazy pictures for the campaign. It's just, it's, it's exploding. It's been and going on it. for almost a year now, hasn't it? Like, yeah. Like yeah. six, eight, eight months now, nine months, Some, something, like something like that. Yeah. But of course, the big news, uh, there's a couple of big things that have come up recently, uh, for me. I've got, uh, the announcement that Savage Rifts is a thing. Mm. Is a big oh, yeah. Thing. Yeah. And I, I'm actually the lead developer on that project, so I'm really excited about it. Oh, cool. And we've got a lot to do, but not a lot we can actually say. So I'll just leave it at that with we're really busy. I will say this. I have been hanging out in Twitch channels for other channels a lot when I'm doing editing. And every single time I say, oh, they someone will mention Rifts Rain. I'm like, oh, did you hear they're doing a Savage Worlds version of Rifts? I'm just like, oh, my what? God. I'm like, I'm like, dude, the guy who has my podcast is designing it. <laughs> I'm actually not designing. I'm developing. Sean Fannin is the well, lead designer. I, I, I make sure the guy, I mentioned Sean, too. So okay. Because I can't but, uh, remember who's doing what in Division of Terms. Your project manager, he is lead designer. Correct. Okay. And I've also got a project that's coming out soon for Savage Worlds. The Savage Worlds Lankamar set, 
in which I got to design all the monsters and characters for that one, which was really fun. Uh, which remind me, someone from uh, Pinnacle emailed me before the show, and I haven't had a chance to respond. Remind me to respond to them after the show, Ross. After the show, don't forget to respond to Pinnacle. No, I was reminding you after the show, <laughs> remind. After the show, Oxford comma, remind me to. <laughs> Okay. But, you know, or, you know, when you're editing this, you'll come across it and you'll go, oh, my God, I have to email those guys. Right. Oh, my God, I should have emailed them two weeks ago. And the last thing I want to mention is there's a video game I got to write called Warhammer 40,000 Regicide. And it has uh, hit early release on Steam at the moment we're recording this, which is May 5th. And you can find a whole bunch of awesome first look videos online from the company Hammerfall Publishing. They name dropped me quite a bit, which is really exciting. <laughs> But I got to write all the dialogue for all the trailers, all the dialogue for all the adventure, all the, the sorry, the, the 50 different single player campaign missions, stuff like that. It was super fun to work on, and I'm so excited it's finally out there. So, yes, uh, that kind of wraps me up with what I've been doing lately, which I know was a big, long, rambling thing <laughs> from pretty much all of us. <laughs> but that's great. Let's get into the next part of our show. And the next part of our show is the Tavern Tales. Tavern Tales is where we ask our guests, and in this case, that's going to be, of course, Will and Stan, to give us an, a, a quick story about a memorable die roll uh, from a game that you've played. You know, ideally, let's you know maybe a, a Ravenloft game if you can think of one. Okay, I'm going to make Will go first. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, un- unfortunately, oh gosh, I don't think I've, I don't think I've got one uh, for for uh, Ravenloft. But actually, I'm going to go. I'm going to go right back to. Uh, I'm going to go right back to that Arkham Horror with all the trimming games. Okay. Uh, so, you know, without, without having to get, you know, too, too much of an explanation of the rules, if you can't manage to achieve a victory condition within a certain amount of time, the god you're opposing actually awakens and you get one last ditch attempt to actually fight it, which in most cases is completely, uh, impossible. So, uh, everybody's kind of scrambling to figure out what's the best stuff they can have. What's, what's gonna, what's gonna give people a real, a real edge on the fight. Well, there's the very first player that was, that was gonna go during the first round of this fight with, with the Elder God had, for some reason, had ended up with all of the disposable weapons, all the weapons <laughs> you have to discard after you use them. And so just decided to go ahead and use the malls. It was like a, it was like a Molotov cocktail and like uh, fireworks or something. It was just it was like oh no yeah it was like a Molotov cocktail and dynamite. Like that's what this character wow. was armed with. And just decided you know, what the heck I'm gonna I'm gonna do it. And I think ended up rolling like I think ten dice for their attack, which is a ridiculous amount of dice to roll for an attack in in Arkham Horror. Like a lot of miracles yeah. have to happen. And wouldn't you know it? Right before the fight started. Because of uh, because of a rumor card that got uh, resolved, everyone at the table got blessed, which ups your odds of success. <laughs> so they roll they roll these ten dice. The very first roll of that combat is enough to weaken is enough to weaken the elder god. Every single die is a success. Nice. <laughs> it's, it's just everything that for the first time in all the years I've been playing Arkham Horror, the stars were right. Yeah, oh, and not. everything <laughs> that could go right went right. Uh, but of course, once it was the Elder God's turn to act, that was the first player to die. <laughs> so wait, it came wait. back around. Did you just say the player died? Well, well, the char- their character died. The I was going to say, that would be a very memorable game of Arkham Horror. <laughs> the, the player could have had a heart attack later that night just because of the <laughs> accumulated stress of the board game. But, but yeah, they, the invest- their investigator uh, was the very first to die. <laughs> Nice. You know, the that finds you wanting. <laughs> <laughs> All right. That's a great story, Will. Thank you. 
Thank you. All right, so now we've given Stan a moment to think about something. Oh, goodness gracious. So I've decided to go uh, – recently on our Monday Night Board games, we we played a three- or four-week run of uh, Formula Day. I don't know if you're, oh, you're familiar with Formula it. Day, yeah. the, the car racing game. And the first couple of weeks where everyone kind of get used to it, and then new people joined in. And then the last week, we decided to actually have a big race. And uh, throughout the, the first few weeks, I just spent – Every race just in the middle of the pack. Nothing I could do ever worked out, and I was just middle, somewhere in the middle of the whole way. So we're in this, the actual race on the last week we're doing it, and everything's going right for me. Like, I'm out front, and no one can keep up with me. People are just kind of staying on on my heel and coming through, and we're getting about two-thirds of the way through the final lap. And uh, we had a area where there was a two-turn curve followed by a short straightaway and a one-turn curve. And I'm sorry if you're not familiar with the game, that won't mean anything to you. But <laughs> if you are, you're like, you know, that's kind of a stressful way yeah. to go. And I'm, I'm coming in and I'm, I decide not to push it too hard. I'm just going to do it right because I've got this lead. And, well, not actually remember the, the numbers because the dice are all weird. I rolled as low as I could on my approach, leaving me short of the first curve, then oh. as high as I could three times in a row. <laughs> oh, Lord. And, and, and barely managed not to blow my car up and got out of the final straightaway and rolled as low as I could the rest of the way out and got passed by, like, four people. Oh, no. Wound oh. right up, right up in the middle of the pack again. Wow. Now, I, I like the, uh, the mashup that Nice at Dinner Table did with Car Wars, which was called Formula Die. <laughs> and i will say if someone wants a tavern tale that's specifically about ravenloft ari salvatore's wubba wubba story takes place in ravenloft the wand of wonder story yeah you guys know that one i've heard it i think we've talked on the show before about the one campaign that my friend bryant smith did where we all were dwarves from different uh, cosms. yep yep oh lord yeah we we, we ruined his his ravenloft game pretty hard <laughs> okay <laughs> Speaking of Ravenloft, let's actually jump right into our main subject tonight. Let's ask, since since Stan was actually involved in, in Ravenloft, Stan, why don't you start out by telling us, what is the setting, the campaign setting of Ravenloft all about? Well, so the funny thing is, is that's not an easy question to answer, because there have been at least three distinct stages of Ravenloft. But the, what what carries over it all is the idea that this is a – Ravenloft is – a familiar name for what's known as the Demiplane of Dread. And it's a mysterious place that is ruled over by these powers that no one quite knows what they are and that uh, create these mists that transport people who have done some horrible evil into this Demiplane where they are forced to uh, often relive aspects of what they've done wrong or just to, to survive against other creatures and, and beings who have been evil and been pulled into the demiplane. And they're, they have, uh, they each will have their own domain, which is almost like a hell of their own creation. The, the powers, right. Ravenloft powers have created it, built off what they've done to torment them. I always put the dark powers, in my mind anyway, as basically cats playing with a mouse, except for this the entire plane is their mouse. Mixed with Rod Sterling from the Twilight Zone. Right. Yeah, I mean, depending on different people who've been involved in Ravenloft, some will 
are of the opinion that the dark powers are evil and are tormenting people, and some are of the opinion that the dark powers are good, who are helping to correct evil in the universe, and some are the, you know, dark powers are unknowable cats that just torment things because they can. <laughs> now, you say there's three distinct stages of Ravenloft. At least, because, you know, it, it came out as a, as a, uh, originally just as an adventure. I mean, it's all kind of based off this adventure that, uh, Tracy and Laura Hickman wrote yes. Castle Ravenloft, I um, which was uh, the the idea and the idea of this this domain uh, where Strahd the vampire uh, is trapped. It became a, a hook around the campaign setting where the, the the larger picture of other domain lords and and the mists and this uh, land, the central area of connected almost uh you know island or or small uh continent of of related domains came in and then uh as it went along that got broken up even more so that uh uh well in that in that section there was a lot of of ongoing storylines a second edition run where there was uh, the great conjunction storyline and several other the grim harvest storyline things that that jumped around and and there was a, a through story, and it was developed very much like a campaign setting. And then, as it got through into late uh, second edition and into the, the the third edition, as it was uh, picked up and, and licensed out away from Wizards, uh, it went back to being a little more separate and developed, where things were a lot more tailored to the particular situation. And then you would be swallowed by the mists and wind up somewhere else. Well, actually, there's actually another permutation of that then, because in 4th edition D&D, it became simply another part of what was called the Shadowfell. Oh, yes. Oh, wow. I completely forgot about that. Uh, you and a lot of people either forgot about it or really wish they could forget about that. Well, this, uh, is, this is something I was going to pregnant because I have uh, on the show notes the actual history of the publication of it. But basically, Ravenloft was supposed to be the uh, fourth big campaign setting for 4th edition. And it was supposed, it was due up on the development track around the time when everyone said, Hey, things aren't going the way we wanted to. Let's shuffle everything up and do essentials instead. So after they did Forgotten Realms, Dark Sun and Eberron, Ravenloft was supposed to follow and that got canceled and the material they'd worked on at that point got rolled into Shadowfell, uh, Gloomrot and beyond. Kind of, it's a, so it really is a shame for Ravenloft. On the other hand, for my money, the Shadowfell is one of my favorite things that came out of Fourth Edition. Well, yeah. I, I have nothing against the Shadowfell in and of itself. I, I, but like you, I think it's kind of a shame that a setting as rich as Ravenloft became and also ran. It was That's like the a, only thing. It was that. almost a footnote in the planes yeah. below. Well, okay, so so Stan's given us a really good overview of what the setting is all about. Uh, maybe we should ask Will Thrasher and have him tell us, you know, what does Ravenloft as a setting mean to him? Well, I, I love, I love horror movies. Uh, particularly, I love, like, the old, the old hammer horror movies where they're just very <laughs> atmospheric, uh, very, very European. And whenever, whenever I, I think of Ravenloft, I, I, am thinking of a, of a setting that lets you play every hammer horror movie all at once. Yeah. That's a good way to think of it. <laughs> it's got some Dracula. It's got some Frankenstein. It's got some curse of the werewolf. It's, it's just, it's, it's a wonderful synthesis of all these different horror elements. And I, I love that the fact that it's, you know, it's a demi plane and it's a place made up of 
other places and people that got sucked and just helps to justify that mishmash. You don't have to write a 2,000 or 3,000 year long history to explain why they were both werewolves and vampires on this world. All you right. know is they just got sucked in through the mist. Well, it is one of the few places in the settings besides uh, Sigil where you could meet somebody from anywhere else in the D&D sort of pantheon of, of settings. Yeah, and that, that's actually something yeah. something else I like. You you don't as a, if as you know GM running Ravenloft, I don't have to do any uh, conceptual backflips to justify a character bringing or a player bringing in their favorite type of character from their favorite type of campaign. Uh, it's 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 truly you know anything goes. You can bring in any character from outside Ravenloft that exists in the D and D multiverse. Yeah, it's just an established yeah. part of the setting that that can't happen. What about you, Daryl? What does what does Ravenloft mean to you as a setting? Oh, it's oh god, I love Ravenloft so much. It's my favorite setting, hands down, of all the core settings uh, because it is. I, I didn't even realize why I loved it so much until I listened to everyone else talk. But it is literally take all the Hammer horror films, throw them in a blender. Take the Twilight Zone, throw that in a blender. Take the Universal horror movies, throw those in a blender. Hit frappe, Ravenloft comes out. It is. All, Sorry over ice. It is all <laughs> <laughs> some fava beans and a nice Chianti. <laughs> Eight of ten, the Fruit Loops were better. Sorry, that's a reference only redditors will get. But no, uh, it is all the goth, gothic horror and dark fantasy themes and tropes put together in a setting that is specifically meant to. And it's one of the it, this and. Planescape both share one core thing that doesn't exist in any other version or any other campaign setting in D&D. The Dark Powers and the Lady of Pain are never statted out and never fully described. So it adds this air of mystery. It's what are the Dark Powers? I have my interpretation of them. Like I said, Rod Sterling is a cat playing with a plane full of mice. Right. That's my interpretation of the Dark Powers. Someone else's is going to be completely different and just as justified based on the canon material. And just the way you can, you can play it as a campaign setting. You were born and raised in Barovia or Darkon or any of these other things. And Darkon, we'll get to that in a minute. You may not have been born and raised <laughs> there, but, uh, you can be born and raised there or you can be sucked in from Faerun. You can be sucked in from, uh, I think there was a Dark Lord from Dark Sun even. Yeah, there was. Uh, yeah. One, one of the Sorcerer Kings. There got was, there was Dark Lords from every published campaign setting that I'm aware of. Except Eberron. Well, well okay, yes. let's, let's be very clear. <laughs> We're talking about Ravenloft at its height. Yeah. And at its height would have been pre-third edition. Well, yeah, there was even a Spelljammer crossover. And yes. yeah. it was to the point where it's like, okay, we've got this guy in, from Spelljammer here. Let's not talk about him because Spelljammer has space hamsters and that's not really going to mesh well with Listen, the Listen, I will family, defend but... Spelljammer to the death. Oh, but I'm, nevertheless, that's I'm, a different I'm, saying, I'm saying, I'm saying cl- clash of themes and styles there, not well, knocking Spelljammer. Okay, I like the space but, hippos. Let's <laughs> focus on Ravenloft here. But, yeah, the, <laughs> but, uh, the Dark Power is the mist. You can pull anyone up. Right, I'm, I'm going to jump in and talk about what it means to me as well. I liked Ravenloft a lot. I mean, obviously, it was a big influence on me for when I created my Savage World setting called The Cursed. And I do, much like Will, love the fact that it's hammer horror mixed with, you know, that fantasy feel. I think, you know, the thing I love the most about it, though, is actually how it changed the paradigm of play. And what I mean by that is like a typical D&D adventure is like you go into a room and you find a bunch of monsters and you take some treasure out. There's nothing wrong with that. 
That's absolutely awesome. And, and I have had a lot of fun doing that. But your typical Ravenloft adventure relied a lot more, at least in my experience, on the role playing and the exploration and the investigation, because there was usually like, there was like a question of who is the real monster? What is really going on? Who is the, the evil that we need to fight? You know what I mean? And I, I felt like that those questions and those, uh, those answers that played into the adventures, they really changed. They just made that, that experience of playing a game in Ravenloft a little bit less of just kicking the door and fight and, you know, fight the monster in, in the dungeon and a little bit more of the story and the character and getting to know what's, what's happening uh, on that front. So that's what I really liked about it for me. And there was a lot of more lateral thinking in Ravenloft, loft adventures. I mean, you could do the normal murder hobo, kick in the door and start fighting everything thing. That's a good way to get a crap load of powers checks really fast in Ravenloft. <laughs> so well, again, there's places in Ravenloft where that is absolutely the right thing to do. And you're a hero because you do it. But uh, it's not in all of them. And it's usually you, you have to think about, okay, should we kick in the door or should we think about this for a minute? And well, I'm just thinking that most of the adventures I saw that I liked a lot for Ravenloft involved a lot of role playing and mystery and investigation. I, I guess that's just really where I'm coming from is that those things were celebrated a little more. Well, even, you know, going back to the original Ravenloft module that all this spun out of, one of the reasons that that's one of my favorite, if not my outright favorite uh, old school D&D module, is that so much of it is just you know, solving the mystery of who is Strahd. Why is there this this cursed vampire here? Yes. And I love that the campaign assumes that you will at some point figure that out. Yeah, did you, did, did you find the Sun Sword? <laughs> uh, unfortunately, I did not. No. I, I found the Sun Sword when I played through Ravenloft, and I was like, this is awesome! Because you can't think of anything better to fight a vampire with than a Sun Sword. Oh, yeah. Oh yeah. And I mean, that, you know, one of the one of the interesting things about D and D is that you know, people just kind of talk in general. They say D and D is all about, as you're saying, kicking in the door, killing what's there, and taking its treasure. But it, I mean, it doesn't have to be. And Ravenloft, it kind of is that writ large, right? It's proof. You don't have to have a campaign that that plays that way, and you can still play D and D. And uh, you know, the the that. There are sections where you do do that is, is the icing on the cake. But Ravenloft very much is a story oriented setting. It, it, like, like most horror, it's not about the conflict. It's about what you do before the conflict really matters. Okay. So we've talked a little bit about what it means. Uh, Daryl, why don't you clue us in a little bit more on these dark powers and how they work uh, in the setting? They are my favorite thing ever in any campaign setting. It is basically rule zero and DM fiat and railroading all boiled down into actual rules in the game. Uh, the dark powers are these mysterious things that basically control everything in Ravenloft. They're the ones who decide who sucks people, who gets sucked up from other campaign settings, who becomes a dark lord versus who becomes just someone who's there. They're the ones who decide what gets through and what doesn't in terms of if you're trying to cast a summoning spell or if you're trying to, if you're a divine spell caster, what spells you even have access to. Because you don't have context with the gods per se in, uh, in Ravenloft. You're getting your spells still, but you don't know who's giving it to you. And it might even be the dark powers themselves. And it's just, you know, those times when your player says, I'm going to cast a wish spell and they read off what they're going to cast. And you're looking at them. It's like, Oh, I can screw you over 18 ways from Sunday. Ravenloft encourages you to do that. 
because that's just how the dark powers work. It's about this mysterious force that has its own agenda or it has no agenda. It may just want to watch the world burn. We don't know. We just know they love ironic punishments more than anything else on the planet. You know, I think the dark powers were cool. They were definitely flavorful, but I think also it was, you know, one of those strengths. It's also a weakness just in the term, in, in the way that it came out in play. I, I observed numerous GMs who, who did it right and numerous GMs who did not. Yeah. And the Dark Powers is kind of a license to, in many ways, be a jerk, be an adversarial jerk, even, uh, to your players. And I think, I, I believe that actually put a, put a bit of a stigma on the setting. I think that, you know, it, it also, uh, very much is, is a prime example of the, of a, um, of the, the bonus of role playing where, you know, it's all up to the GM. Which is also the negative of if your GM isn't very good, well, that, that affects the game for everyone. It's, it's kind of the, uh, uh, well, it's not, the, the dark powers are a personification of the problem that, that, uh, many of the indie game designers, or uh, the people who would become the indie game designers in the, the 90s and early 2000s saw with role playing as it existed. Right? That, that you have this one fiat that's sitting there and if your GM does one thing and if players don't like it, you're just kind of stuck. And it, it uh, on the other hand, when the GM does it great, no one complains because everyone's having a great time. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Will Thrasher, tell yeah. us about the mists, the mists of Ravenloft. The mists. I mean, it's it's just like it's just like the perfect horror movie setup. Uh, your your characters are out in whatever campaign setting they're in, doing whatever they're doing, hunting for the dungeon, hunting down a Drake, what have you, and just this creepy chill mist rolls in uh and by the time you notice there's anything supernatural about the mist it's too late and by the time that mist clears you're (laughs) going to find yourself somewhere in ravenloft and it's it's uh and i've I've talked about about this a lot there's this great uh quote uh from uh sid marty croft uh where they said that they they took a lot of heat for always doing fish out of water stories but that they firmly believe that the fish out of water story is the only real story and and i i actually agree with that in a lot of ways and ravenloft is a perfect example it's it's a setting that that just screams for, to be a fish out of water story because the mist let let give you the perfect campaign setup to take any heroic characters or even any villainous characters out of their comfort zone and putting them in this dark world where whether they're good or evil the deck is stacked against them in all these weird mysterious ways and the mists, of course, uh, they actually form the borders between each domain in Ravenloft. And they can be passed through normally most of the time. Uh, but other times they can become actually completely impenetrable or may even take you somewhere completely different than where you were headed in the first place. Dark powers, <laughs> shrug. <laughs> and the worst, possibly the worst uh, element of the mists is that they actually block off contact with any gods of any of the other planes. Welcome to the demi plane of dread. You remember, you remember that part, Will? You remember they can't, I, you, that commune doesn't work and. Yep. <laughs> you, they, 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 that's one of those, you know, cool ways where the, the deck is, is stacked against you. Uh, you know, there, you, you can't use your magic to, to reach for a light in the darkness. And I, I really love that. I mean, that's, that's where the, the dread comes from that, oh, there are higher powers, but they're, but the ones you want to contact, you're not going to be able to reach from Ravenloft. <laughs> I still remember the rule that if you cast any sort of summon spell, 
in Ravenloft. You will probably get the creature. It's now stuck in Ravenloft 2, and it's probably, <laughs> once your control is done, pissed off that it's on the Demiplane of Dread. Well, you remember they had a really... Some of the best uh, Monsters Compendiums came from Ravenloft. Mm. And I still remember all the awesome Ravenloft versions of Elementals. Like, <laughs> you summon you summon an Earth Elemental, you get a Grave Elemental. <laughs> you summon you summon a, a Water Elemental, you got a Blood Elemental instead. Remember that? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was, it was fun stuff. Uh, actually, on the subject of the, of the mists, you know, passing through the mists, and sometimes it's, it'll send you to a different part of Ravenloft than the one you, one you wanted to, to go to. Uh, I, w- I once had a group of, of players, and this is, of course, based on something that, uh, a GM did in the, in the past, where he would use cross, he would f- repeatedly, whenever they had to cross through the mist, would use it to split up the party in very detrimental ways, like <laughs> in ways that were kind of destructive to the campaign. So this one player who'd been subject to that multiple times in the campaign w- was so, uh, paranoid that he, he, uh, whenever in any, with other, any other GM, he, the characters were to pass through the mists, he insisted that they all Wrap a uh, like thirty foot rope around one <laughs> rope, wrap it around their wrists so that they can't be split up. Nice. Well, the other thing is the mists may send you where you want to go, but they may not send you when you want to go. Oh yes. Well, the yeah. time travel thing I think was pretty played down. It, it it was a possibility, but it was fairly yeah. It was fairly rare. I mean, let's let's be very let's be very clear about that. I think there's only three times the time travel came into play. Uh, well, speaking of speaking of reaching for higher powers, I think that was something that Will was talking about earlier. Uh, divine magic works differently a little bit, and I think you've already gone over a little bit of that, Daryl. Yeah. Uh, but I think the fun part is actually if you're a paladin. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, that's my inner DM cackling. Do you want to tell us about paladins uh, in Ravenloft? Paladins are the searchlight in the fog coast the lighthouse the beacon if you are a paladin and you are on a demi plane of dread whatever domain you're on the dark lord of that domain knows exactly when you show up on that plane how strong you are your character level and where you are at all times well that could be both good and bad i mean you, you know, I can imagine you're trying to sleep and you're like ah i still know where that paladin is the, pa- the paladin a paladin on a demi plane of dread warps reality around it because it is lawful good in a domain that is basically at best lawful neutral to chaotic evil based on the based on the residents there it's look out for yourselves even the farmland is like keep your head down don't notice anything so even your basic commoners are not getting involved in anything so a paladin shining a light of justice and might and good is just you might as well just be pointing an arrow to yourself on Google Maps saying, I am here to thwart your plans. I am here to thwart <laughs> your plans. <laughs> All right. Now, something that's very uh, specific to the setting of Ravenloft is a group called the Vistani. Now, I would like, Stan, if you wouldn't mind, to tell us or tell the listeners who are the Vistani. Oh, goodness. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> okay. You know, there, there was a lot. There's a the, there was a lot of argument about the Vistani. When when I came on the line, the Vistani were just kind of uh, uh, 
a Roma-like, they were almost as mysterious as the dark powers, and even more so because nothing had really been written about them yet. And so different people, Bill Connors, who was the lead designer at the time I came on as an editor, had one very strong set of opinions about them. And David Wise, who was had been the lead editor and was now in, in charge of creative services, had another very distinct take on them. And so uh, the push was not to define it because no one could win that fight. <laughs> so, uh, and, but after after I left, and uh, Cindy Rice and Miranda Horner and David Wise again uh, were leading development. I think they went on to do a lot to kind of uh, give the Vistani more uh, uh, clear lines of of distinction. But I say I was I was off the line at that point, and I decided I did not want to know, so no one could corner me at a bar <laughs> and, and yell at me about the Vistani. <laughs> okay, well, I'm sorry we uh, brought it up. There. <laughs> but I, I, you know, that I found them fascinating. But I, I also know that I, I very purposely stopped learning about them after a while because All right. that way I couldn't get dragged into, you know, forget about the bar. I couldn't get dragged into a, a conference room for a three-hour <laughs> meeting about the Vistani. <laughs> All right, Will Thrasher, why don't you jump in and save us here? Who are the Vistani? Well, it's 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 kind of like you said they're 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 a Roma-like people. I mean, they're the, gypsies, the, basically. Yeah, the yeah they're like they fit this sort of rom- dark romantic notion of of gypsies. They're these these wanderers with caravans who are always moving around the demiplane of dread. Uh, they never have long-term contacts with any of the settlements that they pass through or around. So you know all all the all, all the usual you know stereotypes that might get you know directed at 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 gypsies would be would be directed at them by the people of Ravenloft. No, no one knows, uh, at least, you know, back in like the second edition days, nobody knew whether they were just their own people or whether they were spies for the domain lords or or a, or a product of the dark powers. Uh, or and, enemies and they, they of the fit, dark powers or friends. Oh, yeah. yeah. You just didn't and they know. Fit, and they f- just, they fit that dark, you know, Romantic, horrific mold. Although at the at the same time, and actually, I think I talked about this on an D Infinity episode where we talked unhuman uh, uh, playable races. Is that they are also, you know, while they are, you know, this expression of like, you know, the these dark horror movie and horror story sort of gypsy tropes, they're also a dumping ground for all these stereotypes that have been thrown at the actual Roma people. So. It, it's, it kind of be, kind of is a mixed bag depending on, you know, what your players are comfortable with, uh, what you want to express about them in the game. Right. So just to be very, very clear, it's a fictional race that is loosely based on stereotypes of gypsies. Yes. It, it's okay. Based, it's based on the tropes surrounding them, not the actual people. That yes, are correct. It's, the it's, tropes and themes. We, like we talked about fortune telling. Yeah. We, we talked about this one a little bit back when we were talking about the, uh, world like of darkness gypsy. Curses. So. Like they're they they have to move around. I think they are, there's some kind of curse on them that they have uh, they to. They cannot stay in if they stay in one place within one mile of that place for more than a week. They start getting flu-like symptoms until they move more than one mile out of there, and then they start to recover from it. Right. So they have to always they're constantly on the move. Fortune telling curses. They have some kind of weird ability to influence the mists. They're about the only people in Ravenloft who, when they walk into the mists, actually come out more or less when and right. where they want to. So they're they're a resource as well. I think you know from a world building standpoint, uh, for player characters to kind of learn more about where they are, where they might be going, or even you know things that are happening in other realms. Which, it, it, if you look at it from that point of view, from the the idea that it's a resource, I think uh, the Vistani work 
pretty good uh, as far as that. As and in addition to you know kind of building up those, uh, as Will pointed out, the hammer horror tropes of the setting. Have you been looking for a dark fantasy RPG setting? Are you interested in seeing a new take on the action horror genre? Then you should check out Accursed. Accursed is a setting for the Savage Worlds RPG created by me, Ross Watson, and my good friends Jason Marker and John Dunn. It is a world where the heroes are monsters who fight for redemption against the witches who have conquered their land. To find out more about Accursed, search for Accursed on DriveThroughRPG.com. Accursed is now on sale there and in many other fine retailers for gaming PDFs. Thank you very much, and I hope you enjoy Accursed. Welcome back to episode 50 of the Gamers Tavern Podcast. I'm Ross Watson, and we've got Daryl uh, Lott Jr., of course, with yep. Stan and, <laughs> and Will Thrasher, and we're talking about the Ravenloft campaign setting. We just kind of finished talking about some of the basics of the campaign setting, and I think we, we would be interesting to talk a little bit about that production uh, schedule, sorry, not the production schedule, the production history, if you will, of Ravenloft uh, a little more in depth. Yeah, I'm going to brush over this really quickly, but it started off in 1983 when Tracy and Laura Hickman created module number I-6. The I stood for intermediate, uh, which that was back in the, uh, I think it was the first edition days. It was 1983 when they published that. And it was kind of iconic because it was the first one that, uh, first module they made that you could keep replaying because the, where the items, there were five cards you drew and Four of them represented where specific magic items were and where Strahd was in Castle Ravenloft. And the fifth one represented what his motivation was, uh, whether he was trying to get one of the objects or whether he was trying to uh, kidnap this woman who, when you read the, when you found the diary, which was another one of the items, uh, described Strahd's backstory, which we're going to talk about a little bit later in the show. And it, it the fact that it randomized things means you could replay the dungeon Unlike a lot of, unlike any other dungeon up until this time, you could replay it and have completely different outcomes every time. And I-10, which is House on Griffin Hill in 1986, the sequel to that, uh, also played on those same tropes. It was written from an outline from Tracy Hickman, but uh, six different designers worked on that one. I don't have their names in the show notes. Well, let's just say but, it's not as memorable as Ravenloft. Yeah, it, it's still iconic, but it's not quite as iconic as the very first one of that. But it was iconic enough that in 1990, it was the uh, Realm of Terror box set, which I am glad to have on my gaming shelf. Now, even though yeah, it's, the guy it's really eBay, important to note here that the, the, the Realm of Terror is actually based on I-6, not I-10. Yes. Well, I-10 is incorporated into the, it was retconned into Ravenloft, uh, in that the house in Griffin Hill takes place in one of the realms of terror and it ends up with, um, Azalin and Strahd trying to escape Ravenloft in a plot and blah, blah. Anyway. You know, what's really interesting to me about that, that date, 1990. Okay. Mm -hmm. You got this big black box set, Realm of Terror. It's all about Ravenloft. It's all, and as we mentioned, it's got that different paradigm, right? It's got that slightly more character focus, slightly more investigation focus. Well, guess what happens one year later, right? 1991, Vampire the Masquerade comes out. <laughs> you know, and I always thought that was interesting. I thought that, you know, it, it, these two products came out so close to each other and had a lot of overlap. And, and obviously, I think we all agree, you know, that Vampire the Masquerade was one of the biggest things to happen in the 1990s in, in the role-playing game market. 
Uh, it just absolutely, you know, came to almost define that, that decade. So I, I find it really interesting to note that this, you know, predates that by uh, maybe even a little less than a year. Yeah. And the uh, Ravenloft was also the first D and D official uh, campaign setting. And it really depends on how deeply you look at the publication history, whether it or Dark Sun was the first non-traditional, like non-Tolkien-esque fantasy setting to get made into a campaign setting. It depends on, again, they both went into development about the same time. I think Dark Sun came out about six months before Realm of Terror did. But both of these were two campaign settings that weren't basically you're playing in Middle Earth for the most part. And it also was one of the first, uh, oh, I'm sorry, it was the second after Dragonlance to get a major novel line behind it. And it actually had some really, some names that became huge in the urban fantasy industry. Uh, Laurel K. Hamilton and P.N. Elrod both got their start in fiction. Well, I don't know if they got their start per se, but some of their early works were writing novels for the Ravenloft line. Well, don't forget noted author Tanya Huff. Wrote a Tanya, book. Huff, yeah. Tanya Huff is another one. She is another and uh, friend of the show other, and other former guest, Ari Marmel. Ari, Mar- Ari Marmel never wrote an official novel that got published. Like well, I said, he Ray, wrote for the line. Let's just he wrote he wrote for the line, and I find. By the way, I'm so excited. I finally found the link to the novel, the lost Ravenloft novel. He actually finished. Yeah, because he mentioned that when he was on the show with us. And I could not find it back then, but I found it now. And it's going to be in the show notes. It's called Black Crusade. It was the last officially released Ravenloft product ever. <laughs> It, unfortunately, well, so it, at far, least yeah. until at least until fifth edition Ravenloft comes around, which Wizards of the Coast, we want Ravenloft. Okay, well let's get, back to so then. let's get back to it. Uh, <laughs> and of course, you know, kind of died uh, right before third edition came out, but it then it got picked up. Well, it was, ironically, it, it got picked up by White Wolf. Yes, who got the uh, license. Well, there was a there was a thing. The last things that uh, TSR did with it was well, it was TSR and Wizards of the Coast. It was right about the time of the buyout, which was Die Vecna Die and uh, Vecna Reborn and Die Vecna Die were these two adventures where Vecna gets his own demiplane of dread and then breaks out of it. And we're going to talk about this a little bit later in the show, maybe if we get time for it. But basically, Vecna breaks both Ravenloft and Planescape. But uh, that was pretty much the last things that were done officially. Then it was licensed over to Art House Games, uh, which was a publishing subsidiary of, Wizards of White Wolf, who published the games through Sword and Sorcery, who did the um, crap. What, what was Sword and Sorcery? The first thing they shattered did? The, the, the shattered, uh, what is it called? Now, now you got me doing it. But shattered was, Skies? Sh- uh, uh, no, no, it was the... It was something shattered, though. Now I can't remember what it is. Crap, I'm looking for the book on my shelf. <laughs> shattered Kingdoms. Yes. Uh, that, and, and that is famous for two things. One, being an awesome setting that a lot of people ignored. And two, uh, its monster manual actually beat out the third edition monster manual to print by a month. <laughs> so, uh, but... But there's a lot of good stories there. <laughs> <laughs> sure, but... Uh, one of the main things that happened in the third and 3.5 edition days of Ravenloft was that it was oh, I'm sorry, over the to Scarred Lance. Scarred, Scarred Lance. Lance. Scarred Lance. Scarred That's Lance. That's it. Yeah. But um, one of the interesting things was they really drew on the fan community 
to basically step up and design this gun. They went to Usenet, BBSs, and websites because those were Usenet and BBSs were a thing back then. The websites were all like uh, Angel and Angel, what's it, and GeoCities page, Angel Fire and GeoCities pages. Oh yeah, these people that were writing netbooks, which when that was a thing. Uh, supplements for Ravenloft. And they said, oh, hey, you guys are doing good jobs. Do you guys want to actually work on the game? And then that happened until about 2005 when the license was not renewed and Wizards of the Coast took it back. Uh, the last thing that was going to be published was Van Richten's Guide to the Mists, which that was only able to be released as a PDF download. Um, then we've got nothing else coming out yeah, except for... I think, I think we expedition- can skip the rest pretty much. Expedition... Expedition to Ravenloft in in 2006 didn't actually take place in Ravenloft. Yeah, when we're talking about it tonight, and I think think everyone here is going to agree with me, we're talking about it primarily through that lens of that box set, Realm of Terror, and the Mm -hmm. the stuff that came out around that period. And I already talked about uh, the 4th edition woes that, I'm sorry, it's just in the notes. It's like, uh, 4th edition was going to be the next campaign setting, and... Yeah, we talked about that one. Oh... Well, let's, I let's threw get in, such a hissy fit on Twitter when that happened. Let's get into the the interesting part about Ravenloft as a setting, as from, you know, from a world building perspective. It's let's talk about the domains and the Dark Lords because <laughs> very few settings aside from Ravenloft really have such memorable uh, and interesting uh, cast of characters, especially you know as villains uh, with the Dark Lords and the realms that they rule. Um, well, that's uh, one thing we haven't actually explained completely. I don't think on this episode. Um, well, let's let's what, start with Stan because he worked on it. So, yeah, Stan, tell us a little bit about like first of all, what is a Dark Lord and what is one of the Dark Lords you can you want to tell us about? Well, uh, Dark Lords are all creatures of horrible evil, either ad- adventurers or villains from lands outside the mist who've done terrible, terrible evil and drawn the attention of the dark powers who've pulled them into Ravenloft. And given them a domain. Now, a Dark Lord is tied to a particular chunk of land, which often reflects something about his past and the evil he has done. Uh, he is both in control of it, in that he controls the borders and, and the reality of what goes on around it, and he is subject to it, in that the Dark Powers can change the rules anytime they like. And he's trapped there, too. <laughs> and he's trapped there. He cannot leave. He cannot move beyond the borders. Some are more clearly in charge, and some are more tormented by what's going on. It's all, as I say, each one is, is crafted very much to suit that particular, uh, creature and, and his evils and, and wants. So pick a, pick a Dark Lord that's one of your favorites and tell us about it. I did not study, teacher. Uh, <laughs> Alright, well, let's, well, let's, let's, let's start ask Will Thrasher. The... What's one of your favorite Dark Lords? Well, there's, there's one. One whose, whose name I, I can't uh, I can't remember, uh, but it was it was like it was like like an evil puppet, oh. <laughs> this like evil like jester puppet who just played yeah. twisted games with people. I I wish I could remember his name because that just reminds me of Unico and the Magic Island, which is just it one is of my not favorite. Jigsaw. It is not movies. Jigsaw. I was reading this today. No, it's not Jigsaw. <laughs> but but I guess like the, the one that I would like to to just uh, mention by name would be uh. Blewett Spur, the God Brain. Uh, just, I'm a huge fan of Illithids, <laughs> and I love that there there's a, a supreme Illithid intelligence in Ravenloft, and it's just this massive gestalt brain made up of the brains of all these different Illithids it's absorbed, uh, and it likes to think that it has perfect knowledge, but its knowledge is is, is very very flawed, and 
it's starting to realize that it kind of wishes it had legs and a body and wasn't just a brain that all it can do is think all day. <laughs> nice. Well, it's kind of like half illithid, half lich or something in a way, I, but not I quite. Think but it, at one at one point, uh, I think it, it may have like a, a attain some kind of undead status. I know, I, I know a lot of like do, domain lords were kind of like you know in in flux, depending on uh, which edition of uh, Ravenloft you're looking at. I'm going to tell you about my favorite. Uh, my favorite is actually from a Dungeon Magazine adventure, which eventually became, I believe, uh, official in the later publication of, uh, uh, what's that called? Realms? The Realms Re- of Dread? Realms of, uh, Realms of Terror. Something like that. Yeah, Realms of Terror. And it was called Ebon Bane. Now, Ebon Bane is actually a magic sword. It was once a paladin's holy sword, uh, but it has now become this, you know, like, horrible, uh, animated, intelligent weapon and it controls the manor house of its of its former you know owner uh lady kateri shadowborn and so the adventure dealing with ebonbane is all about this haunted house that every part of the house is controlled by the sword <laughs> and you and you have to kind of decide you kind of you decipher the, the history of how this sword became corrupt in order to destroy it and escape the haunted house it's it's absolutely wonderful it was written by uh bill connors Mm-hmm. This adventure, Bane of the Shadowborn. And uh, it was a perfect, inst- for me, it was one of the perfect introductions to the setting and a really interesting and unusual uh, Dark Lord. Daryl, what's one of your favorite Dark Lords? I've got to go with the original Kent, Count Strahd von Zarovich. I Strahd. <laughs> yep. Uh, he is one of the most beloved characters of Ravenloft, if you want to call him beloved. Because well, he's, he's he is still the original. Blood sucking, literally blood sucking bastard. He was the original but, uh, villain from the I6 1983 Ravenloft. Yep. And I love that. <clears throat> the reason why I love him so much is that his a lot of the other curses have something that's game mechanics related. Like you've got Aslan, who uh, that is the Dark Lord of Darkon, uh, which you might remember that from the live action role playing game movie Darkon, where they actually play in that realm. But his thing is he's a lich who can't they, learn new wait, wait, spells. Wait, wait, are you saying the live action role play Darkon is actually supposed to be set in the Ravenloft realm of Darkon? If I'm not mistaken, yes. I. I, I never may, knew that. I, I, I may be completely wrong on that. So please comment in the okay. show notes <laughs> of the forums <laughs> and let us know. I would find that if very I'm wrong surprising that, if that was in fact supposed to be. Okay, if, if that's true, then TSR never knew it. <laughs> Maybe they know now. <laughs> Secrets out. But, oh, God. But his was, you can't learn new spells. There's other ones that's like, oh, uh, what is it? The, the werewolf that if he becomes too bestial becomes human. And he's like the werewolf god of a new religion. But Count Strahd's curse is he is in love with this woman, Tatiana. And he actually murdered his own brother to claim Tatiana's... uh, Tatiana and his brother, Sergei, were supposed to get married. And he murdered Sergei in order to claim Tatiana as his own. And found out that the uh, deal he made in order to get the power to kill Sergei turned him into a vampire and she kills herself when she finds out that her love is gone and Tatiana keeps getting reincarnated in Barovia and every single time she gets reincarnated Strahd has a new way to earn her love and save her and it turns to ash in his mouth every time and it's 
just such a perfect story. It, there's no game mechanics involved. There's nothing like, okay, well, he only has this list of spells. It's not a weakness that your characters can exploit by using some sort of mechanical advantage. It is pure role play. Once this woman, he is in love with this woman. And no matter how many times she is dangled in front of him, he cannot learn that he is never going to have her because the dark powers take her from him. I think that, I think canon four times she's been reincarnated. Well, it's 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 really the the point we're making here is that I think Ravenloft is such a rich setting, partially because it has these really great characters. the The realms themselves are not so much as interesting as the Dark Lords and what's happening with the Dark Lords and why you know what what is the 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 way that your characters can interact with them. And and, and you compare it to uh, to Twilight Zone, right? All of the Dark Lords are are characters with very strong and, and exploitable uh, failings, and their their hell is of their own making. And if they could recognize their problems and overcome them, they might improve as human beings or elithids or whatever creature they are. <laughs> and uh, but uh, instead, they uh, Strahd is a great example. Right? Tatiana keeps coming back, and all he really has to do is actually win her back to him <laughs> and everything would be fine but he doesn't he 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 schemes tries and to, plots to, and plans to steal her or to spirit her away or to uh, assume control of her and so because of his own weakness he loses again his hubris yes you know uh, i think i think you can't talk about dark lords though without mentioning possibly the most famous of them all which would be Lord Soth, the Death Knight from <laughs> from from the Dragonlance setting. Oh dear! You know, um. <laughs> now, this is, the really interesting thing about this is actually this is the kind of uh, it, it started that that meta plot, meta story kind of element because Lord Soth was really a character from the novels before he was really a, a character in the games, and he, he became such a really important and beloved character from the novels. That when they decided to move him to Ravenloft, it was a thing. I remember at the time uh, when this happened, I remember everyone was talking about it. You know, it was like, Bob, did you hear Lord Soth is now in Ravenloft? Oh my gosh. You know, it was, it was a fairly big event. There's, there's a lot. Yeah. We, we could talk for another hour about this. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, We tried to get Tracy Hickman on the show for this, but he was, his schedule didn't work out and we did not mention Lord Soth once when I was talking to him. So that's not the reason why he didn't come on. So I want to make that clear. Well, Stan, why don't you, you know, help us out here? What's, what's the backstory here? Well, so, I mean, oddly enough, both Soth and Strahd can't say that very easily are both characters created by Tracy. But, you know, Soth was definitely a Dragonlance thing, and it was when, after uh, Margaret and Tracy no longer were working for the company and had gone off to, to write Dragonlance and other things as, as freelance writers, uh, that the company decided that they were going to, you know, pull characters in for uh, Ravenloft to try and strengthen its appeal, to give it, a, you know, an appeal to more people a reason to come and try out Ravenloft and Soth was a very, very popular character. And so they decided to pull him in. Bart and Tracy were never down with that. And they also, uh, were very public about their thoughts on what TSR was doing at the time. And so there became a very big hubbub with fans who sided with Morgan Tracy and fans who sided with TSR and 
people who just didn't know and liked a good story or people who just didn't know and thought, why you, why you, why don't you create your own characters? Stop, stop going and cherry picking things off other, uh, existing properties. So there's, there was no clear right or wrong, but there were a lot of arguments and, and, uh, they went on and on <laughs> for years. It's a, a, a sticking point with any negotiations between TSR and, and, uh, Tracy in particular, but Margaret Tracy worked as a team at that point. So, uh, uh, it was just one of those things that, that remained a sticking point that came up over and over again. In the meanwhile, uh, I think Jim Lauder, uh, was a novelist who did a lot of stuff with Stroud and wrote some of the best Ravenloft books uh, and, and gave a, a great second story to this character. In the end, the, as a, uh, a way to resolve the situation after Wizards had bossed, bought TSR, uh, it was decided that, uh, they would close out Strahd and Ravenloft and make it in such a way that he reappeared in Kryn, having been gone uh, in Krynish time, not even an instant. So did it all happen or did it not happen? It's up to you to decide. But what was really the, what was the best, well, not the best, but the, maybe the most memorable part of what you just talked about there is the fact that he did escape Ravenloft. Now, Will Thrasher, what, what was your thoughts when you, when you found this out, that, that Sothan managed to get out? Actually, I, I have to admit, uh, I, I, this is the first I've actually heard of it. Oh, wow. <laughs> as, as, as much as, as, I guess this is, this is kind of, you know, my, my dirty little secret, you know, my, my knowledge of, of D and D and all of its different forms is, is kind of cherry picked because I've always been a much bigger fan of sci-fi, uh, than fantasy. So there's only a handful of sort of isolated D and D things that I've really sunk my teeth into, you know, one of them being, Ravenloft because of the horror elements, you know, another being Spelljammer because of the bizarre uh, spaceship elements, th- things like that. So this is actually all completely new to me. I had no idea they had actually let anybody escape from Ravenloft. Well, Lord two. Soth, only two people have ever made it, and Soth was kind of the one that really shook everybody up. It was the, it was the guy who escaped the impossible prison, and I think, especially in in my circle of, of guys who were fans of the, of the setting, we thought this was amazing because. If anybody deserved to get out and had the, the strength, the moral fortitude, the cunning, you know, it would be Soth. Soth was, of the two people, he's the one who did it honestly, in my opinion. Uh, he actually subverted the dark powers in their goal of basically mouse with a rat, blah, blah, blah. He actually <laughs> took onto himself. It's like, yes, I have done wrongs. I deserve any torture you give to me and the dark powers tried for decades if not centuries to draw him out and say hey here's this thing that you want la 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 you're not you're not going for this at all you're just gonna sit and mope and be emo um (laughs) um, okay and i honestly think the the dark powers just like Oh, fuck it. Get the fuck out of here and threw him back to Kryn where it's like, you're not fun anymore. Well, he, he didn't just sit around and do nothing, right? Oh, no, no, no. He did no, a lot he... of things while he was in Ravenloft. In fact, it was a pretty major conflict between him and Strahd. Yeah, it was. Which uh, shook this realm to its foundations. TV Tropes described it as, quote, Ravenloft starts to resemble Tokyo with Lord Zoth playing the role of Godzilla. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, I think, and, and, and one of the things that always uh, got me about the, the conflict between the, the, internally, between the Ravenloft camp and the Dragonlance camp, is that uh, while I, I, I totally understand the fact that the Dragonlance is a, a storyline-based setting, and Soth was a character that, that had been created for a purpose that had never fully been fulfilled, and and not wanting to see it, the character taken off to do second duty somewhere else. Even even given that, I, I think that the the blinder of that notion kept a lot of the Dra- the Dragonlance fans from taking a look at it and seeing what a great job uh, the Ravenloft uh, people and, and I could like say James Louder in particular did in in being true to the character and really writing a great storyline. I will back you up on that entirely, Stan. I read the novels that James wrote about uh, Strahd and Soth and and the Night of the Black Rose, I believe is the name of the book. They're excellent. I agree with you. He he did a really good job of taking that character and making him uh, really come alive. Yeah, the the fight line is, well, they're just taking our character and doing whatever they want with it. But in in point of fact, I think that uh, Louder did a, a fantastic job of of developing the character and doing something which is true to the character. The only problem was that it wasn't what Tracy wanted to do, and it didn't fit with his plans for what would happen later on with Dragonlance. And and in the end, you you can't have both. You you, you know sometimes you just can't put the chocolate in the peanut butter. <laughs> <laughs> well, I I don't know. I I think I think the fact that that Soth was involved in Ravenloft actually enriched. That setting, mm-hmm. and I think, I think that enriched uh, Kren as well. I, I feel like it was actually, you know, a, a thing that improved both. So there, you know, probably more to the Ravenloft side certainly, but uh, it was just an interesting. It, it, I don't think you can have a meaningful discussion about Ravenloft without bringing up Dark uh, Lord Soft. Yes, <laughs> and in fact, you know, when you when you asked me who my favorite Dark Lord was, I'll be honest, I was sitting here thinking Soft and thinking. I am not opening that can of worms. <laughs> you let me do that. So right. Oh, yes. <laughs> and thank you very much. <laughs> okay. Well, we could probably go on for an awful long time talking about all the really cool Dark Lords and all the really cool setting bits. Um, and there are an awful lot of them. Um, but I think, you know, let's, let's actually jump into the next section here and talk about, you know, using Ravenloft as a campaign setting. How do you... And this would be a great subject, actually, for you, Stan. You know, how do you run a Ravenloft game? So, uh, you know, like I was saying before, there there are there are a couple of different iterations of Ravenloft and a couple of different ways to use it. And um, for me personally, I never found the the running Ravenloft game to be as interesting as the intermittent Ravenloft game. So the mists come in and pull you in. You have to deal with something, and uh, you. You plant this. You've got to deal with the uh, the uh, weekend in hell. Yes, the you, you pick a a dark lord in a setting that has uh, uh, thematic ties to what is going right and wrong for uh, for your characters, and you give them a chance to see the very real demarcation between good and evil. Because while D and D has alignments, and there are sometimes problems if you go against your alignment, it's nothing like going against your alignment in Ravenloft. It's not like doing something <laughs> evil in Ravenloft that's going to follow you forever. Right, dark oh powers can actually right. change you. Um, and and uh, so when I've always thought about using it, it it's been 
in a as part of a a longer uh campaign that involves areas outside of Ravenloft where the, the characters are actually brought in as pawns of the dark powers that they don't even know because they're good. So it's a nice place to visit, but you wouldn't want to live there. Yeah, I just find it I find it, <laughs> I find it very the story it's telling if I was going to run a, a full in Ravenloft campaign, it would have to be with a, a an idea of wrapping it up with the the players having hope. Right? The the problem the problem for me with Ravenloft is that there's no hope. Ah. Uh, and, and that's just not heroic. When I'm running D and generally like to do things that are that are heroic in scope. And Ravenloft is terrific as horror, but horror and heroism don't always go together. And that's why you like it as the the object lesson as opposed to... Oh, yeah. To, yeah, I like throwing horror the, at them from time to time. But you don't like it as a trap that they're placed somewhere where they can't have any meaningful impact. Well, I, yeah, or I would I would have to have some kind of fantasy... Uh, uh, my idea for the campaign is fantasy horror, but that's just not the thing that, that comes to me very often. And this probably is one reason why I was better off suited after doing some work on Ravenloft to moving on to some other settings because <laughs> horror horror is something I like in small, very intense doses. Uh, but using it as an ongoing thing uh, just kind of wears on me. Well, if I may, I'd like to point you towards my campaign setting called The Cursed, which is basically <laughs> uh, Hellboy meets Solomon Kane. Ah. I, I, that's a good. That's a good lo- one line. That's a good uh, sell line. Thank you. Yeah, we we worked on that pretty hard. Um, Two time winner of Gamers Tavern <laughs> Awards. I had nothing to do with that. All right, yeah, uh, no, we had to force that on him. That's true. Okay, Will Thrasher, tell us about the, running a Ravenloft game. One of the things that that as a GM really attracts me to Ravenloft is that it. it it's a setting that can enable, I, I think, like a, a richer form of, of, of heroism. Because as, as I said, in so many ways, the, the deck is stacked against you. And as a result, that makes whatever good you can do, whatever heroics you can do in that world, so much more important because there's not necessarily going to be a reward and everything in this world is trying to prevent you from, from doing that, that heroic act. And, so you know, I'm I'm always less interested in fantasy stories when some higher power gives people instructions to go on a quest. They become great heroes and get celebrated. Uh, the way I look at Ravenloft is that it's almost like you're in the French Resistance. You're if you're going to be a hero in Ravenloft, you're in the margins and you're trying to stay out of sight of every higher power uh, the setting has, and and you're trying to eke out whatever good you can. You know, uh, in in Ravenloft, you can do a thrilling adventure that ends with the characters giving fresh bread to a starving family, because that's how that's the kind of dire strait that can exist in this world oh, run by <laughs> monsters and. The- from my ass, what you've described actually it came to me, and that is is perfect. It's it's tragedy. It's it's high it's high tragedy. You can be heroic, but you can't reap the rewards. And actually, and on the subject of, of tragedy, uh, whenever I run any kind of campaign, I like to have uh, sort of an, an ending in mind. And whenever I'm framing something for Ravenloft, I always have two end two endings in mind, and it could go either way, all the way up to the end, which is either. You find a way to get out of Ravenloft, maybe even taking some people with you, or you end up becoming the new Domain Lords. 
<laughs> and that can be fun if with the right group, with the right players, that can be excellent. Oh yeah. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. I had players the last time I played a Ravenloft game, they were I pulled them in the Ravenloft to try to teach them a lesson. Uh we we're talking about the mists and how mystical they are. Uh they were in the they were in the middle of the underdark and suddenly it got foggy and then they were in the middle of woods with the moon overhead. And they didn't figure it out until I spelled it out for them. Hey, I'm getting sick of your shit. You're in Ravenloft now. Oh, hey, we just killed this guy. Uh, and I started off with actually from the second edition uh, version. There was a short story where a woman, she slowly unrobes. Uh, she takes off her robe. She takes off her small clothes. And then she takes off her head and sets it on the rock before she jumps in to get a swim. <laughs> And it's supposed to be creepy and unsettling. And then the monk goes, I'm going to take her head. I'm like, fuck. <laughs> yeah, we've been over this uh, in a previous crap. episode, actually. We talked about yes. the story in depth. And, and the whole time, it's, it's, I'm just face I'm like, you guys aren't going to learn crap from this. And it got to the point where it's like, okay, seriously, I can get you guys out of Ravenloft and back to Greyhawk. Or you guys are going to own your own domains of dread, you monsters. <laughs> One guy was sitting there still skinning people in Ravenloft for a spell component. <laughs> well, for, for me, I think uh, the thing I like about Ravenloft as a, as a game, you know, that I would want to run is I like, and I brought this up when I talked about Ebon Bane, you know, as the Dark Lord. I think it's fun to take some of those heroic, I'm, I'm sorry, to take some of those horror uh, tropes and themes and then blend them in with some of the specific uh, things that make D&D what it is. Intelligent weapons is a D&D thing. You know, a, a holy, uh, a holy Avenger sword is a D&D thing. And to take that and weave it into the idea of a haunted house, I think is beautiful. And uh, th- that's, that's like how I would want to use Ravenloft. And I do really like actually where Stan's coming from and saying, you know, let's visit it rather than let's make, you know, set a whole campaign there. And, and it works really well for that, in my opinion, as, a, as a place to stop off. And, and as, you know, we've talked about, you know, teach a lesson or, you know, offer a, a different perspective on something that's happening in the main campaign setting. Uh, I, I really like that as well. I, it's hard for me to look at it, though, at Ravenloft. It's hard for me to look at Ravenloft and say, this is a setting I would want to set a long campaign in. Yeah. It's, you know, the other thing is we talked a lot about that, the, the core of those connected domains. But for me, if Ravenloft, I mostly think of it as the island's uh, uh, the island domains where you're going from one and you just kind of, it's almost like episodic television. It's almost like quantum leap. Right? <laughs> you're, yeah. you're showing up somewhere. You don't know exactly what it is, but you got to figure out the problem and solve it. So you can get back in the jump back into the, the mists and hopefully they'll take you home this time. <laughs> <laughs> Sam Ziggy says this guy's a vampire. <laughs> That's right. Yes. Yeah. 88% <laughs> chance he's a vampire. <laughs> 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 Which I believe was an episode of Quantum Leap. <laughs> <laughs> no, but you know, I could actually see, I could see a game like that too, almost like a supernatural road show, you know, road trip type campaign where you're going from place to place, maybe trying to track down somebody who's fleeing from you. That would be, you know, that might make a really fun way to do it. Use the Ravenloft setting as the backdrop for the main story, which is you, you know, chasing someone down. That could be really fun. 
and I could yeah. I could totally see like a, like an evil sorcerer in an act of desperation fleeing into Ravenloft to try to get away from the heroes. Yeah, <laughs> you know now now we've made it into a Sid Marty Croft show. <laughs> it's okay. So what uh, what domain does Hoodoo the magician lord it over? Now? <laughs> Lidsville. <laughs> Lidsville's a domain, right? Lidsville could be a domain. <laughs> All the people turned into hats and oh, forced goodness. to live out these weird lives as headgear. <laughs> oh, okay. And I just like the idea of the worlds of Sid and Marty Croft as as the <laughs> core of Ravenloft. <laughs> oh my god! Land of the Lost could work. Uh, oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and actually, uh, you, you mentioned Land of the Lost. That's one of the other nice things about the sort of semi chaotic nature of Ravenloft is. Uh, if you come up with a domain and a domain lord that isn't covered, you can put one in there. And I wish I could take credit for this. This was back in the TSR days. I, I, uh, when Alternity was in print, I was pretty active on uh, the TSR chat rooms. And there was a, a GM there who, for his own Ravenloft campaign, had made his own new land. It was this volcanic island, and it was all just – everything on it was some prehistoric monster. It was dinosaurs, oh, wow. mammoths, things like that. And uh, the domain lord was used to, was a, a fallen ranger who had hunted certain creatures to extinction on his home realm. Oh, wow. And, and so he, he was the domain lord, and he was sort of this apex predator. The thing was he knew so about animals that he couldn't hunt on his own island because there was absolutely no challenge. So the only way he could enjoy the thrill of the hunt was by tricking people to come on the island and hunting them. Okay, that is a brilliant idea. That is brilliant. I want to do that. That's basically evil Tarzan. That is yeah. that's the most that dangerous is, game. Yeah. Oh my god, oh, yeah, that's awesome. It is and then the other part brilliant. of it was just like the curse of the land. If you defeat if you killed him, you proved yourself to be the apex predator and you immediately became the domain lord. <laughs> well, I'm not so sure about that particular. I, I think I would want to change that part a little bit, but it, it's neat. It's a neat twist on it, though. I do like that. You got to be careful about the way you defeat him. You know, oh, very true. Something, something along those lines. Because I think, I think it would be fun to have options there, some kind of creative uh, way to solve that problem. But it's very neat. And uh, well, we're running out of time here, so let's jump into Daryl. Unless you got anything else you want to go over about running a Ravenloft game, I think I want to jump into final thoughts. I got a couple of things I want to talk about in Ravenloft games. Uh, the first is, uh, atmosphere and tone. You really have to keep in mind the group you're playing with because I've talked a lot about when I said, okay, I'm sick of your bullshit. I'm going to send you to Ravenloft to teach you a lesson. <laughs> I learned my lesson trying to do that. That doesn't work. You put a bunch of murder hobos in Ravenloft. You're just asking for more pain. You really have to play up the atmosphere. It's supposed to be uh, subtly upsetting at best and downright nightmare fuel as, you know, that's kind of your baseline <laughs> for that. Um, you really want to draw in things like uh, music and lighting. You want to keep dim lights. You want to keep kind of creepy, unsettling music. You want Bauhaus playing in the background for the most part. Uh, you really want to do, you know, theater of the mind for combat instead of gridded minis because gridded minis tend to put people in more of a tactical combat situation as opposed to putting them in the world. And you really want that tone to come through. And that's, that's the advice I have for anyone who's wanting to run a Ravenloft. I, I'm, 
I may be the lone holdout on this, but I actually think that running a game that is set entirely in Ravenloft, like the characters are born. And again, we didn't get to this in Darkon because we skimmed over a lot of the stuff. But in Darkon, if you stay there for more than a couple of months, you think you were born in Darkon. And your entire character history before that gets written into a library that uh, Azalon gets to go through and read anytime he feels like it. But if you are born in Ravenloft, it I think it actually makes a richer campaign than if you do the Weekend in Hell, like the mists come and take you from Faerun or comes to take you from Dragonlance or Eberron or wherever and drops you in Ravenloft for a couple of sessions and then pulls you back out because it starts to make you think in that paradigm of a thing. And when you warn players in events, hey, I'm going to run a Ravenloft campaign, they're more likely to get on board with the idea of the tone and the atmosphere where it's, sure, you're going to get some jokes now and then, but it's not going to be a big jokey campaign. At least that, that that's my opinion. Well, you know, it's, I think it's a fair point to point out, though, that uh, Dungeons & Dragons as a game doesn't tend to lend itself very well to that level of immersion. Most of the time, you know, Dungeons and Dragons is a slightly more casual role-playing experience. And, and there's nothing wrong with that. I'm just saying I would find it a slightly harder sell, I think. I think I think the beauty of it is, and the thing, thing about Ravenloft is that it, it works on both those different ways. And like like so many other things when you're doing role-playing, if, if you find you find what is suited to you as a GM and you find a group that wants to play that, everyone's going to love it. So let's actually jump into that right now. Let's uh, let's talk about our final thoughts on Ravenloft. And Stan, why don't you lead us off with uh, with that? I you know there's still a bunch of things that I have from from old Ravenloft modules and a couple of, of things I'd written that I have just on the shelf to pull in and use in in almost any game I I run. Like it doesn't even it doesn't have to be D and D. Doesn't even have to be medieval. This idea of this place where these uh, you know, my version of the powers are, are, uh, I, are sarcastically good, right? Or, you know, kind of snide, <laughs> like they're, they're trying snarky. to do good. They're trying to do good in the world by really kicking the shit out of you. Lawful snarky. Right. Yeah. So, uh, you know, it, it could be a modern game. It could be a steampunk game where all of a sudden out of nowhere, these mists rise up and pull you into this place where horrible things will happen and you'll learn something. Um. <laughs> For me, and and knowing is half the battle. <laughs> uh, yeah, no. For me, Ravenloft is is the spice. I I love the concept. I love that it's there. It's not something that you know. For as much as I worked on it, uh, which which really was a a relatively short time over the course of of the things I've done. I I loved it, and I loved the possibilities of it. But it was never, like I said earlier, it's never something I wanted to spend all my time in. And uh, uh, I found as as I go through that it's applicable all over the place. And it, it's it's such a great concept for putting players out of their comfort zone and giving them something that feels uh, where the stakes have been raised and where when it's done, you know, they can feel like they've accomplished something. Uh or or not, they can accomplish something and feel like, oh my god, we we never really actually succeeded. And now we've been sent home. 
uh, and, it, and it will haunt them. Like, it really is something that will haunt the characters and the players, and it'll be something they talk about for, for the rest of the campaign, or, or hopefully longer. All right, that's that's excellent. And I want to jump over to William Thrasher, but first I got to say, Will, this guy, whoever his name, you know, whoever this unnamed fellow was who came up with this great idea for a, a Dark Lord in a domain, I am so stealing that. <laughs> that was a brilliant idea. Oh my yeah. god, Evil Tarzan is now a thing. I'm just saying. <laughs> we'll give him a good creepy name, like Azrak or something like that. <laughs> Stoke, Stoke Gray, or just Lord Stoke or something. Like that. <laughs> Actually, Gray Stoke does sound like the name of a villain. All right. So, Will, what are your final thoughts on Ravenloft? Uh, my own final thought, and this, this goes into something that, that has been very inspirational to me uh, as a game writer. Uh, I, I cannot speak enough praise for the Van Richten's guide. Uh, oh, yeah, uh, yeah. Every, every Dracula needs a Van Helsing. So Strahd has, uh, Rudolf Van Richten, uh, the herbalist and monster hunter and, uh, an yeah, I expert. Can't you, we forgot about him. Thank you for remembering to bring him up. Oh yeah, and and there's a, I'm, a I, I, I you can't talk about Ravenloft without talking about him. And and back in the day, TSR released this great series of books, these Van Richten's guides. There's like a Van Richten's guide to undead, a Van Richten's oh, yeah. guide to the created, which is all about like golems and flesh golems. And the thing that I love about these these books that I I always try to emulate is that there is good solid rules material uh, in them. But they're written in character. They're written as if you are actually going through Van Richten's handwritten journals, and it's full of his observations, his scientific measurements, his musings, uh, and and it's like an in-world view of of these subjects. And the other thing I love about this is uh, you never know when Van Richten may have made a mistake. What's presented as his scientific observation about how mummies work could be – he could be in error. And so it, it always keeps you guessing as a source book. It well, gives so, you these wonderful gaps. And, and some, and some of these were written by guys like Nigel Finley, who is just an absolutely mm-hmm. immortal writer. Uh, I, I was just going to say, um, this is very reminiscent of what happens in most Shadowrun source books, <laughs> which were written by Nigel Finley. <laughs> I, I cannot, I cannot speak highly of those, of highly enough of those books. They are wonderful. Yeah, yeah. They, like I said, they were just written by some really excellent guys. Uh, you, you could find some really names we've spoken of before on this show. You know, Skip Williams, etc. Um, so yeah, absolutely. I, I definitely recommend people going out and finding those. So that's that's great. But did you have anything else you wanted to add about Ravenloft before we sign off here? I don't j- just that. I love I, I love horror and I, I love a game that lets you ex- explore aspects of classic horror uh, and, and gothic horror. I guess my my own uh, my own thing is uh, the next time I run Ravenloft, one of my uh, one of my goals is to have a. a Two new domains, one sort of inspired by H.P. Lovecraft, and another inspired by the works of Edgar Allan Poe. Where oh, you're nice! Mm-hmm. Poe story at once, and the domain lord is essentially this uh, this this mad poet who's pining for a lost love, but he, that lost love may never have existed. He doesn't know whether he actually loved this lost Lenore person or whether that's just a delusion that the dark powers put into his head. And and so he's, he's obsessed with finding out, you know, that's, wow. that's the thing too about Ravenloft. You can tell different types of stories in your typical 
Dungeons no, we didn't even talk about Mask of the Red Death, which really I know, is I was that's, about to that's, say that's, that. Yeah, that's that's my if I'm going to run Ravenloft, it probably will be Mask of the Red Death. All right, so we let's take a couple of minutes. What is Mask of the Red Death? It's a Victorian, yeah, it's a Victorian uh, interpretation it's, of Ravenloft. It, it is not, it's not connected to the fantasy version, except that there are dark powers, which it's hinted are the same, and it's it's set in. The, uh, the world of the 1890s, uh, with all kinds of references to Poe and other gothic, actual gothic horror of Earth. Uh, and, uh, it's, it's just a terrific Victorian era horror game. Okay. Follow the House of Usher. Yeah. If, if you like, uh, if you like Cthulhu by Gaslight, that this is, this is a non-Lovecraftian Cthulhu, but it's, it's, it's all right. horror in the 1890s. Well, I would and say, it's terrific. Thank you for that. Um, I would say my final thoughts about Ravenloft actually changed during the course of this show because I started out <laughs> you know, very much like Stan, where I was like, oh, I don't know if I'd want to do a campaign in it, you know. But the thing about Ravenloft is um, the things I love about it is what we talked about earlier. It's, it, it encourages a different type of play. It allows you to tell different types of stories. Um, it makes it has just some really incredibly memorable characters. And it's a really great concept. I, I love the whole idea of Ravenloft. The things about what we talked about during this this particular show have actually changed my opinion on it a little bit. I think I would be more interested in taking a second look at the campaign setting as a place to set a campaign. And I think you know we talked about one possible way to do that would be like as a uh, a road trip type campaign where you're constantly changing uh, from one part of the, the realm to another. I would love that. I would adore that. And so I think Ravenloft is, is, is a lot deeper than it first appears, actually. It's got a lot going on. It's very imaginative. It's a really fun and interesting look at, uh, how to do horror in a D&D specific sort of, uh, approach to role playing. And there's just a lot of awesome bits that you could take from it, even if you never intend to run the game here. There's a lot of bits you can take from just like like the Dark Lords as villains. We did a whole show on villains before. Um, you know, these guys are great for that kind of thing. So I, even if it's just a resource that you use to spice up your own campaign, it can be very, very uh, good for that. Daryl? I actually wrote the show notes for this episode, and we've covered maybe a third of what I prepared. <laughs> oh, my Darryl God. Daryl loves Rape That's the, that's uh, the lesson. Oh, thing. that... I'm about to finish with my Sunday group that I'm doing on Twitch. Forgive me for the blatant promo there, but we're finishing, <laughs> we're finishing up the starter set of D&D fifth edition. I'm like, where are we going to go afterwards? Um, maybe the mist should take them to Ravenloft. <laughs> this setting is everything I love, not just about gaming, about fiction. It is. Good versus evil, but shades of gray are all over the place in this. The best way to run, for example, we, we brushed over a lot of the uh, different domains. There's domains that range from Stone Age technology to gaslight. There was steampunk in Ravenloft before steampunk was a thing. Well, I'm, I'm sure it was written after the Victorian era. Um, <laughs> just saying. Uh, Lamordia was... They had uh, 19th century technology. They had steam engines. They had magical automatons. It was like half steampunk, half magitech, as we describe them now. But this stuff was written like a decade before those genres became a thing. 
So for longtime listeners, they'll, they'll notice that this is basically like my favorite campaign setting is Birthright. This Ravenloft right here, this is Daryl's favorite campaign setting. Yes. So he feels like this, like I feel about Birthright. All right. I want to make sure our guests get a chance to talk about the things that they are doing uh, and where they can be found on the web. So uh, let's start with Stan. What's your what's your newest thing, Stan? And where can we find out more about you? Uh, right now, I'm doing some work with the uh, Viz Media. I do uh, localization for Japanese comics, so I'm uh, working on uh, the last couple of volumes for a series called Dead Man Wonderland, and the first couple of volumes for Ultraman. Nice. Uh, you can find those on you know book bookstore shelves as they come out from Viz. Uh, media. Uh, you can find me online at stanex.com. That's S-T-A-N-N-E-X. Uh, and I'm, you know, I, I've been picking up, uh, a bunch of different, uh, cartooning and illustration projects and, uh, trying to keep my hand in it, Rogue Genius. So you, like, like I said earlier, I, I've done a lot of stuff and I continue to do a lot of different stuff. You never know where I'm going to pop up next, except Houston's a good bet in a few weeks. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll definitely uh, have to see if we can get you on the show when we record there at Comic Palooza. Uh, looking forward great. to it. And uh, Mr. Stan, I have one request to make. Yes. Your Twitter account, uh, uh, <clears throat> account? Your Twitter account is at Stanex, S-T-A-N-N-E-X. Yes. You are at 9,999 tweets. <laughs> make I one more. There... Just make one more. Can you make uh, one? Tw- can you make your ten thousandth tweet that you're on the Gamers Tavern right now? My ten thousandth tweet. Wow! All right, I'm live right, on my here. My ten thousandth tweet. Will Thrasher, what is your latest thing, and where can we find about out about you on the internet? All right. Well, my uh, you can always uh, you know see the material that I'm posting online at uh, d-infinity.net. My most recent thing, though, and I just got my contributor copy a few days ago. I contributed material to Heroes of the Wild, which is uh, one of Paizo's latest uh, player companion books. Cool. And that was a that was a lot of fun to work on. You can find that, uh, of course, at uh, paizo.com. You can also, I'm sure, if you got a friendly local game store, if they don't already have it in, I'm sure they'd be happy to order it for you. Now that's for a game, a little game you may not have heard of. It's called Pathfinder. Indeed, it is for Pathfinder, <laughs> and that was that was very very fun uh, fun to work on. And if you want to get into specifics, uh, you know, I did like the I did most of the herbalism stuff. So that if if you like plants and what plants can do for you in games, check that out. Uh, maybe maybe the, certain weeds. Those certain weeds can do. Uh, weeds, sages, mushrooms, lots of stuff in there about mushrooms. All right. Uh, but then as far as what I've got upcoming, of course, you can uh, check out uh, what I'm doing at Comic Palooza. I'll also, with Kettlefish Productions, be running a lot of LARPs at Origins uh, and Gen Con this year. Uh, and then as far as publications, I'm currently uh, doing the layouts on a book that I co-authored and illustrated, uh, 100 Oddities for a Post-Apocalyptic Wasteland. Nice. And it's, yeah, just grab a D100, roll on this, and it will give you some weird object, anomaly, or phenomenon that you can use to spice up your post-apocalyptic game. I, I recommend you just walk away. <laughs> <laughs> Leave the precious juice behind. I promise you safe passage in the wasteland. I can neither confirm nor deny whether or not we have anything on the table that is a reference uh, <laughs> to that classic movie. <laughs> okay, well, we're all going to be at Comic Palooza. Um, you can find out more about what's going on with me at evilbeaglegames.com and therosswatson.com. And Daryl, of course, has his uh, tabletop 
article that goes up on ain'titcoolnews.com. Yep. Uh, by the time this goes up, I should have an interview with Felicia Day. Speaking of that, the uh, bartender is looking at me and giving me the nod, so we're going to have to close it down here. And for all the listeners, thank you again for supporting us here at the Gamers Tavern. On behalf of Daryl and myself, I want to extend our gratitude to our guests, Stan and William Thrasher. Thank you so much for coming on the show, guys. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. And uh, this has been a great episode about Ravenloft. So until next time, may all your hits be crits. Are you looking for a new game to play? DriveThruRPG is the Internet's largest source of role-playing games. Enjoy our game table episodes with Shadowrun, Dungeons and Dragons, or Mutants and Masterminds, and you want to join in? Or is World of Darkness, Battletech, or Fate more your thing? Or maybe you just want to check out games from our guests like The Cursed and Shintar, the Savage World settings. Just go to GamersTavern.org slash DriveThruRPG and you can have a new game to play in minutes. And they also have the largest selection of free games, source books, and starter sets anywhere in the world. Go to GamersTavern.org slash DriveThruRPG and support the show with every purchase.